Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Good morning, Harvest. I wish I could say that it's good to see you. The only experience that you get to see is that you see me. Uh, in the meantime, I want to say a couple things of thanks. I want to say uh, thank you to Rachel and, and Rollin for their update. It's uh, really good to hear what's going on in, in their ministry, and uh, we enjoy supporting them. Uh, may God continue to bless them. I also want to say happy anniversary to Joe and uh, Julie Yoon. It's their 12th anniversary, so if you see them sometime today or you just want to text them or drop them a little note, wish them happy anniversary. And then finally, I want to welcome our 7th graders with us. This is the first time that they'll be joining us as a youth group and a service, and so welcome. And uh, the shirt is in honor of each and every one of you, and I hope that you're looking forward to actually wearing the same shirt that I am wearing today. And finally, I just want to say thank you, Janet, for that excellent reading of 2 Timothy chapter 2. So let's hop right into this. Today I, I want to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I want us to see that looking ahead in order to see what you are leaving behind is the theme of what I want to talk about today from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let me start with a question. How do you like to finish things? When I was younger, I, I used to like to finish things on a high note. So when I played basketball in the backyard of my house, whenever I finished and I had to go in, I always finished by making a basket. To me, what it did was create a sense of confidence that I could actually make a basket. And it left me with a positive feeling so that the next time when I came back, I would actually feel encouraged that I could make a basket. I've never been a runner. But one of the few times that I did run, I always wanted to run in such a way, sounds like Paul there, but I wanted to run in such a way that when I came to the end of my journey, whatever it was, whether it was a one-mile run, a three-mile run, half marathon, Ironman thing, I always wanted to finish with that last burst of energy, finishing on a high note, because what it said to me was, I still have enough energy to do this again. <clears throat> this year, I'm 56. And uh, I actually consider myself 56, even though my birthday is a few months away. I've been thinking that way. And as I reflect on my life and my ministry, I'm beginning to wonder, am I going to finish on a high note? And what actually does a high note look like? I think a high note looks like leaving behind a legacy. Because the reality is, maybe 100 years from now, no one will even really remember who I am. But my hope is that my influence to whether it's you as adults or to our college students, our high school students, our junior high students, my influence upon their lives will continue to influence future generations. And so today, what I want to look at here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 is that idea of looking ahead in order to see what we are leaving behind. Now, if you haven't read 2 Timothy before, even if you have, I want to give us a little bit of a context. If I understand correctly, 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. And it's his last letter because he may actually be uh, martyred, delivered unto death, and into the arms of Jesus. And this letter, being his last letter, is a time in which he can encourage Pastor Timothy, who, as we learned in chapter 1, is a little bit nervous. He's a little bit timid. He's not as strong in, in using his gifts as he should be. And so Paul wants to encourage him. 
recognizing, yes, Timothy, you're facing a lot of issues in the Ephesian church. And yes, Timothy, you're about to lose your spiritual father. Those are weighty things. Those are hard things to carry. But I want to encourage you. My last words to encourage you. The very things that I'm telling you are the very things that I want you to remember. And one of those things that I want you to remember, Timothy, is that I want you to own your faith. I want you to guard the gospel. And then I want you to entrust it to others. I want you to pass it on to others. So let's read 2 Timothy verses 1 and 2. And let's see what they tell us. Paul writes, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. The first thing that Paul does is that he encourages Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now remember, Timothy's a pastor. He's leading a church that has turmoil, some chaos mixed in there. But I don't think that Paul's only writing to Timothy. I think he's writing to everyone. Now, if you're like me, and maybe you are, or maybe you aren't, you recognize that following Jesus is a struggle. It's a lifelong struggle. It's difficult. It's kind of like a constant battle to do what is right in his eyes and to do what we actually want to do, which is normally not what is right in his eyes. And that fight that I experienced, and maybe you experienced it as well, is a fight that is constantly with us. And we struggle, and we struggle, and sometimes we just want to give in and just let it flow. And that's not always the best answer. And so what Paul here is encouraging Timothy to do is to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He isn't telling him, hey, Timothy, use your willpower. Fight through this. Toughen up. Take a hit for the team. He isn't even telling them, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. He isn't telling them to be strong by yourself. What he's telling them is, if you want to be strong, if you want to finish ministry, if you want to finish your life like I am, you must be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Our strength is not in and of ourselves. It's in the grace of Christ Jesus. Our following Jesus is not made easy because we have an accountability partner. It's not made easy because we do religious exercises. It's made easy in the grace that we find in Christ Jesus. And I shouldn't say just easy, but easier, because it is still a constant battle. Even as Paul talks about in Galatians 5, there's this conflict between what the Spirit wants to do and what the flesh wants to do. It's always there. But for us to grow in our faith, for us to own our faith, and to be able to pass it on, we need to find strength in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's a strength that Timothy would need because, again, pastoring a church where there were a lot of difficulties, he could, by his own experience, or by some wise words that Paul might have given him, or some wise experiences that he might have had, he would not have really been able to lead the church without the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We must understand, not just pastors everywhere, but followers of Jesus everywhere, that our perseverance, our endurance in following Jesus is based on the necessity 
of being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Earlier this year, I was reading a book and a statement stuck with me that was very powerful and one that I think we all need to grasp, and it's this. Our ministry for Christ flows out of our intimacy with Christ. And what the writer's saying, and Paul is also telling Timothy, is that if you want to grow in your faith, if you want to be able to pass your faith on, you need the grace that we find in Christ Jesus. You need his strength. You need his life within you. It's his life in us, flowing out of us, that affects people for eternity. Very similar to the fact that our youth group is called the vine, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. What he's saying is, I am the source of your life. I am the source of your ministry. And if you remain in me and I remain in you, then you will bear fruit. We want to bear fruit, whether it's for our personal lives or even our personal ministries. And so Paul is exhorting Timothy to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, especially if he wants to endure, not only in following Jesus, but in leading other people to Jesus in ministry. What we need to understand is that it's not just a single moment in our day that we depend upon the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It is a moment-by-moment thing that we must do. We need the grace that we find in Christ Jesus throughout the day. Having a daily quiet time is a good thing. It's a way of saying that we want to connect with you, Jesus. But if we only depend on that one time, and if we do not interact with Jesus and his grace throughout the day, then our strength is much less than what it could or even should be. And so the encouragement here that Paul is giving him is, Timothy, constantly be in this grace that you find in Christ Jesus, that you might grow in your intimacy with Christ Jesus and see the fruitfulness of your ministry. Which I think leads us to the second thing that Timothy is encouraged by Paul. And it's this. First two says, And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. You see, Timothy, Paul would say, first and foremost, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Continually be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Remain in him, abide in him, stay in him, relate to him throughout your entire day, your entire week, your entire month, your entire year, your entire life. Remain in him. Be strong in this grace. And in that strength, then pass on what you already own. Pass on what you already own. What we see here are four generations of followers of Jesus. First and foremost, we see Paul. And we have to understand, Paul did not make up this message. It is something that was divinely delivered to him. And Paul realized that this message not only was delivered to him divinely, it wasn't delivered for him only, for his own benefit, for his own blessing. Instead, it was delivered to him that he might pass it on. In fact, Paul talks about how he has this compulsion to share Christ, this huge desire to share Christ. So it's not just about me getting blessed, 
but about me also blessing other people, which is what Paul's encouraging Timothy to do. The second generation we see here is Timothy, where Paul says, hey, what you have heard from me, entrust to others. In other words, as you have listened to all the things that I have taught, and as you have observed all the things that I have done, as I have owned the gospel, I'm now entrusting it to you. I'm passing it on to you. I'm encouraging you then to embrace and own this gospel and then pass it on to others. So our third generation are reliable and faithful people. So Paul entrusts it to Timothy. Timothy entrusts it to reliable or faithful people. People who are going to continue to persevere and endure in owning their faith and passing it on to others. But it doesn't stop there because Paul then says, I want to encourage you to find these people who will then find people. Now, we only see four generations here, but I think the principle is pretty obvious. That whoever you are, whether you are a pastor or a puster, the call of God on your life is to pass on your spiritual legacy. Not just to your children, but to other followers of Jesus. So that you might have a spiritual legacy. That you, each and every one of us, is looking for someone else whom we can pass our faith on to so that they will own it, so that one day they will pass it on to someone else. Who then, they will own it, who will then pass it on to someone else. This is a message, I think, that is for each and every one of us. It's a call, not from Paul, but a call from God. You see, when Paul is writing, he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the message of 2 Timothy is, guard the gospel. Own it. And once you own it, pass it on. Because our faith, like any philosophy or other religion or ideology, they all can continue to exist only if people own it and pass it on. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, this faith, this faith that gives eternal life to the lost, to the sinner, is a faith that you have to own, knowing that Christ comes to save the lost. Christ comes to save the sinner, to bring them into relationship with his Father, to give them eternal life. You must own this and you must pass it on. That's how our faith lasts. I had an experience this week uh, at our home that showed me the importance of being an example. Because again, we're reminded that when Paul is telling Timothy, hey, remember all the things I said? He's also telling him, remember all the things that I did. Because just being a good teacher isn't enough. Timothy would have seen not only what Paul taught, but how Paul lived. And I recognized the influence that I have even at home. So this week, um, as I was observing a, uh, I'll say a conversation in our home, I recognized that one of my kids uh, as, um, was a little bit, I would say, maybe aggressive in the way that they are, were dealing in the midst of this conversation. And as I was watching this conversation, I was thinking to myself, why does this child always have to have a comeback for whatever is being said? Why are they always wanting to share their voice? Why are they always wanting things to be fear? And to me, that's absolutely legitimate. And I realized as I was watching this conversation that this child of mine was actually mirroring my behavior. 
I could teach them, tell them to be respectful, but I recognized that even more powerful was my example. And when I realized, wow, they actually are very argumentative, I saw myself. I saw myself. I saw that what I was passing on was a desire for my child to have a voice. I didn't want my child to be uh, someone who is pushed down, someone who is bullied, but I want my children, all my children, and even youth group students, to be confident, to be firm in what they believe and in what they do. To even question sometimes when things don't seem right or fair. But we can take that to a place where we actually lose our voice because we become aggressive, we become argumentative, and I didn't want my child to experience that. So I had to confess to my child, I said, you know what, I see this, you have this flaw in your life, but the blame in many ways is mine because I've taught you how to be like that. Now that's not a good example, but if my child continues in this behavior, then it's most likely that she will pass it on to her children and then on and on. And I just used the pronoun that I shouldn't have. But anyway, you get what I'm trying to say. But I also realized that when it comes to pastoral ministry, when I'm looking at myself and I'm reflecting on 33 years of pastoral ministry, I've begun to wonder, what have I really done? As I thought about myself owning my faith and trying to pass it on, I realized, you know what, I've never been a megachurch pastor. And not that I want to, but I, I really haven't. I, haven't. I haven't influenced hundreds of thousands of people through great books and great messages and great conferences and all those things. I recognize I haven't planted a church. I haven't started something new. I recognize that in all my desire to help people, I've done simple things like I've forgotten birthdays. I've forgotten to go to birthday parties that I was supposed to go to. I've even forgotten to go to churches where I had promised to give a sermon Obviously because something came up, not because I was rude, but I have forgotten. And, 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 and even in forgetting that, I'm recognizing that there's weakness in my life. I've recognized that I've been at five different churches, three of them for uh, internships. And of those five churches, at only two churches, have I been the best preacher, the best organizer, the best counselor, and the, the best prophetic person in the whole church. But that's only because I was the only one. Every other church that I've ever gone to, I've always been at best, second best, if not third best. And it made me wonder and reflect, really, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? And yet then when I look at verse 2 again, I'm just confronted by this simple fact that Paul says, And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. And it struck me that even though I am not the best pastor ever, not even close to the best pastor ever, I am doing what God has called me to do. It makes me think about the Vine Youth Group. It makes me think about Greenhouse. It makes me think about Tuba City. And I've been the youth pastor, I think, for almost eight and a half years now. And I'm beginning to see the fruit of these verses take place. I have seen every year when we go to Tuba City, and unfortunately we're not going this year, I have seen college students, high school students, and junior high students do ministry. There are many years that we've gone to Tuba City where we did our own curriculum, where the students wrote the curriculum, where the students wrote the skits. 
I'm, I'm so grateful for people like Josh Chan and Amanda Kim and uh, who have taken the time to write what needs to be written and to write good skits. Skits that not only entertaining, not only are funny, but are powerful spiritually. I have seen that at Tuba City year and year again, where students actually lead classroom settings and lead them well. I saw this principle take place even this year at our winter retreat, where our college students came and led worship where college students actually helped with the small groups. In fact, in my own small group, I'm grateful to Elijah Lee because in the midst of leading the small group, there was one evening where I was late and I came into the room and he had already owned the group for himself and he was passing on his faith. He started without me. And in fact, he was so rude, he didn't even let me join. I asked him, should I leave? He said, sure, why not? I didn't. But the idea was because he had owned his faith and he wanted to pass it on. I began to see it bear fruit. I've also seen how this year, this summer, for the first time, we actually started a big brother and big sister program in our youth group. College students are owning their faith and passing it on to high school students. High school students are doing the same thing, passing it on to our new seventh grade students. Because they understand this principle that we have as a goal, as a motto, as a vision, as a purpose for youth group, which is to own your faith and pass it on. This is exactly what Paul is telling Timothy. He's saying, listen, what you have heard me say, what you have seen me do, pass it on to somebody else. Pass it on to somebody who is reliable, faithful, trustworthy, and continue that process throughout. And so even though I am not the best pastor who has ever lived, and it doesn't even bother me that I'm not, I get the joy of seeing God bear fruit in this ministry because I get to see the faith being owned and passed on by others. Now, I wish I could tell you it's all me, but it's not all me. I have been blessed by the foundation that Miss Jeannie and Miss Sue have passed through uh, for seeds onto these kids, that when they come to youth group, they already have this foundation of owning their faith and passing it on. I am absolutely blessed by the years of youth group leaders who have come, some who have gone, those who have stayed, and have actually been a blessing to help these students own their faith and pass it on. I am blessed by many of you as parents who take the time and effort to pass on your faith to your children, the one that you've owned that you want them to pass on to others. It is a team, it is a family coming together. And that's why I'm convinced that when Paul writes to Timothy, he doesn't only write to Timothy, but he writes to everybody and says, what you own, what you guard, pass it on. <coughs> so, how do I finish this? <clears throat> Let me give you a verse and then a kind of, I'll say, frightening movie illustration slash thought. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 8 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strengths. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. What the Lord is telling the people of Israel is, own your faith and pass it on. Own your faith and pass it on. How does this fit into looking ahead in order to see what you're leaving behind? 
I read a quote this week where the author of the book was saying that many leaders spend a lot of time looking at their past and all the regrets of the things that they haven't done or the regrets of who they are and how they haven't focused on their strengths and their weaknesses. And he said something about looking ahead in order to see what you are leaving behind. The author's point was, stop living in the past. It's holding you back. Start looking to what you still have left and what you can still do and how you can affect change even where you're at, even after failure. Even after not living up to what you've wanted to live up to, stop looking at that, but look ahead to see what you are leaving behind. In other words, look to the, look to the future. Look to those whom you can find to be faithful who will own the faith that you are passing on to them so that once they own it, they can pass it on to someone else. Does anyone remember Bing Bong from the movie Inside Out? You, you can see it on the slide. And uh, Bing Bong is very interesting. Uh, Bing Bong is an interesting character because the, the thing that really freaked me out about that was in the end, the last we see of Bing Bong in this movie Inside Out is when he disappears, which means he's gone from this little girl's memory. And that just freaked me out because it reminded me also of that movie Coco, where at the point in the movie uh, where the guy, I think he's sitting on a hammock and he's talking to somebody else, and suddenly as they're talking about how do we live forever, we live forever when people remember us. And then suddenly this guy disappears and it freaked me out because I realized a hundred years from now, and as I mentioned earlier, a hundred years from now, no one's going to remember me. I don't even remember my grandparents from my mother's side, and that's only like 55 years ago. And so it, it freaked me out because I, I thought, wow, that means living life is what? It's, it's meaningless? I'm not going to leave anything behind? But then I realized what I need to do is to look ahead in order to see what I'm leaving behind. You see, no one may remember who I am 100 years from now. In fact, in my own spiritual legacy, I don't even know who the first person is that actually heard the gospel and passed it on for generations. It could have been the Apostle Paul. Maybe in my tree, I'm a great, 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 grandchild of the Apostle Paul. It might be some shoemaker or something way back in ancient Athens or something. I don't know, but I don't care. And the reason I don't care is because what they did was own their faith and passed it on to other people who are faithful to own their faith and pass it on. And so a hundred years from now, I'm not going to be freaking out when I am forgotten, when I'm a uh, bing-bong memory or a, a cocoa not memory. All I'm going to hope for and pray that what I've left behind is people who will own their faith and pass it on. That's what God asks us to do. God doesn't ask us to be famous. God doesn't ask us to be tremendously known worldwide. He only asks us to guard the gospel. Own your faith and then pass it on to reliable people who will pass it on and who will pass it on and will pass it on. That's my prayer for us as a church. I don't know where you're at. You may be in your 60s, your 50s, your 40s, your 30s, your 20s, or your teens. But I believe the message that God has for you, even as a 7th grader, is to own your faith and learn how to pass it on. Let's pray. Our Father, you are in heaven and you see all of history. Billions have followed you. And yet we only know 
a few of them. May our goal not to be famous, well-known. May our goal be to honor you, to please you, to love you, to serve you. To make our relationship with you, our relationship with you. And in turn, as you pour your life into us, may your life pour out of us in a way that we pour the life that you have given us into others, that they might receive that, embrace it, and then pass it on to somebody else. May our legacy be known in heaven as having done what honors you, owning our faith and passing it on. I pray that for everyone who hears this, whether they're 12 years old or 60 plus. May we own our faith and pass it on. May that be our legacy as we look forward to see what we leave behind. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to thank the worship team for uh, finishing out with that song. I appreciate that. It's uh, wonderful uh, to hear how everything comes together in our worship services. But let me close with a benediction, a pretty simple benediction for us as we go on our way. Uh, Our Father, you are in heaven. You have blessed us by choosing us to be a part of your family. Jesus, you are seated at the right hand of the Father. You are our vine. You are the source of our life. We desire to remain, to abide in you so that we might bear fruit. Holy Spirit, may the fruit not only be of our character, but of ministry life, of owning our relationship with Jesus, passing it on to others. And may these others own it and pass it on because they follow Jesus too. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.